We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. We have been looking at the matter of parenting and um, the good ways to do that and the biblical ways to do that. Uh, so in a way, we've been kind of talking about you young people behind your back, but uh, now it's out in the front. So um, we're going to look at a couple of things this morning just to continue our series. I was uh, made aware of a uh, little article that was uh, a helpful article put together by a fellow who's now with the Lord um, named Priolo, Lou Priolo. He was uh, just left this life uh, back in November, um, at the end of November, so not that long ago. Um, but the title of this was 25 Ways to Provoke Your Children to Anger. And you recall that in Ephesians chapter 6, there are those very important household instructions that the Apostle Paul gives, these uh, being instructions that are the outflow of, of a wise walk with the Lord and also uh, a walk in which you are being filled with the Spirit of God. And so he lays out for us to walk not as fools but as wise, to be circumspect, to redeem the time, to be filled with the Spirit of God and to demonstrate that filling through various activities, through various characteristics. talks about giving thanks and singing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs and submitting to one another in the fear of God and all of that. And then he gives some more instructions after that for wives, for husbands, for children, and for uh, servants in the early part of chapter 6. So there's a large section of Ephesians that's given over to teaching the church about how to conduct themselves in their day-to-day -day life. Uh, the Bible is relevant uh, you know, for that purpose, obviously, for day-to-day -day living in marriage and in children and parents. And let me read Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Uh, hopefully all of you are very familiar with this, but we want to think about it a little bit more deeply this morning. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. This is God's word. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So the author has pondered here in our little article, 25 ways to provoke your children to anger. And then I added to that nine ways that children could provoke their parents. So it's kind of reversed it around. And I want to think about both of those for the profit of all of us today. Um, I want to point out, though, that provoking a child to anger or being provoked, if you're a young person, to anger uh, is, is different than a child becoming sinfully angry. Okay? Just because you do something doesn't, and that makes the child angry doesn't mean that you've just become guilty of provoking the child to anger. You may uh, 
you know, set out some discipline or make some request or order a command the child to be obedient to, and that might make the child mad. Well, that's them becoming sinfully angry. That's not you provoking them to wrath. So we have to separate the two categories so that our young people here don't just say, well, whenever I get mad, it's mom and dad's fault, (laughs) uh, and make an excuse that way, but also to remind ourselves as parents that not all the time that our kids are angry is their are they being sinful in the way that, you know, we can just blame them for everything. Maybe we've done something that's incorrect. So take care for that. Either we cause it as parents or the young person causes it in their heart. Uh, so 25, just walk through these, and I'll probably go through some of these quickly. But um, number one, lack of marital harmony. Lack of marital harmony. How many times have you heard uh, testimonies of kids saying in our home there was arguing and all kinds of carrying on and I didn't want to have a home like that and it made me upset. Number two, establishing and maintaining a child-centered home. Now that seems strange. How's that going to provoke your children to anger? Well, it's, it's, it's not wisdom in the scriptural sense and so you're going to push them in a wrong direction And if everything's centered about them and they're not taught that life doesn't revolve around their little geocentric, you know, universe, uh, then they're going to have problems later on. Uh, You can also provoke children to anger by by modeling or behaving with sinful anger yourself. And uh, children can see that easily, very easily, and say, that's stupid. Why are they doing that? Habitually disciplining in anger, bad idea. Disciplining in anger is never a good idea. Uh, You have to discipline with self-control. Number five, scolding. Number six, being inconsistent with discipline. That's probably most easily seen when you're inconsistent with, you know, child number one and child number two gets the short end of the stick or maybe seems consistently to do so, being inconsistent with discipline. Having double standards related to that. Number eight, being legalistic. Number nine, not admitting you're wrong and not asking for forgiveness. Parents have to be able to do that. Uh, You know, that's a very difficult thing to do. That's very difficult for husbands and wives to do. But humbling when parents have to do that with respect to their children but uh, if, you never, if you never do that, I wonder what's going on with you because I'm sure you haven't perfectly parented your children, have you? Um, so think about that. Uh, must be able to admit you're wrong and ask forgiveness, uh, and that's in all human relationships. Number 10, constantly finding fault or never giving a word of encouragement. Um, number 11, parents reversing their God-given roles. Moms need to be moms and dads need to be dads. And uh, he's, he's saying some connection here with that biblical disorder in the home and provoking children to anger, anger against God, anger against their parents or other family members. Number 12, not listening to your child's opinion or not taking his or her side of the story seriously. 
13, comparing them to others. 14, not making time to talk with your children. Just talk. Not praising or encouraging. I jumped the gun earlier in the list when I mentioned that. number. That's number 15. 16, failing to keep your promises. Got to keep your word. We teach our kids, you know, if you've made a commitment, you've got to work through the commitment, keep it. Even if it's unpleasant or it's become difficult, do that. It's a part of character building. Um, number 17, chastening in front of others. Number, I would, I would say that's, that's, a, that's good, but you also have to take in, keep in mind this principle that if an offense is done publicly in front of others, it may need to be corrected in front of those others as well. So somebody can't just say, you know, I did, I sinned publicly, but... You've got, you have to correct me privately. Oftentimes, yes, you should do that, but sometimes you need to make the correction in front of all the kids, say, or uh, whatever the situation calls for. Number uh, 18, not allowing enough freedom. And number 19, allowing too much freedom. <laughs> oh, what a balance, huh? <laughs> yeah, and at different stages, too. Obviously, it changes over the course of time. Uh, mocking. Your child, mocking your child, obviously abusing them physically, that is so sinful and should, uh, would naturally arouse anger in a young person. Um, Number 22, ridiculing or name-calling, unrealistic expectations. Uh, He gave, uh, actually not he, but um, Tripp gave some examples of that in a couple of the sections in his book, name-calling, ridiculing. Very sad to see that. Out in public, too, uh, examples that he gave. Uh, unrealistic expectations. We've said, we've talked about that. Uh, we, we can't set something before our kids that they're not capable of doing, and it's your judgment as a parent. See, you're the steward. You've been assigned a stewardship in raising children, and that stewardship requires you to make judgment calls as to when the young person is ready to be able to do something or capable or not and not put something before them that's beyond uh, their capacity. Practicing favoritism, obviously, that will, uh, that will upset folks. And then uh, using worldly methodologies inconsistent with God's Word. We spent a whole lesson talking about unbiblical methods. Um, notice, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of things not on this list, not that this list is the be-all and end-all or, or the total, you know, complete list, but, you know, having them, making them do things that they should be doing is not on this list. That's not provoking to anger, you know. Making them go to school or do schoolwork when they don't want to or go to church when they don't feel like it, those are not things that are provoking them to anger. Those things may, may make, make them angry, right? But that's not the parent's fault. That's the sinner's fault in the, young, the sinner's heart in the young person. Okay, so again, I go back to the beginning where I was talking about the difference there. Now, on the other side of the spectrum, and so there needs to be a, um, how can I say, a uh, back-and-forth interaction about this, and parents need to be able to hear their children if if they're teen, and listen, teens, I'm talking to you as well, and I will be especially in a moment, need to be able to have a back and forth where you can privately talk with one another and say, you know, son or daughter or 
from the other perspective, mom or dad, it seems to me that, you know, I've been learning about this, and that kind of thing that you do just makes me upset. And it doesn't seem that what you're doing is right. Now, don't just jump down their throat when they say that, but listen. Try to understand what they're saying. Try to work with them. And if they're right, then certainly take the, take the instruction from that. And if they're wrong, then help them to understand why. Calmly. Okay? How to provoke your parents. Okay, I'm going to turn it up on its ear here now and ask, how do you provoke your parents? Well, in, you know, just kind of going from Ephesians 6.1, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So if you disobey your parents in the Lord, that's wrong, and that can make parents a little unhappy, can't it? You don't know what I'm talking about, do you, Jackson? No, not at all. <laughs> so disobedience can be provoking, especially if it's on and on and on again. It's a pattern over and over, and you never learn. You never amend your ways, you know, rude, you know, not answering kindly and uh, you know having an attitude, talking back, sassing or whatever you know word you you know your parents you know use to get that idea across to you. Uh, not only disobeying, but in general showing disrespect. Okay, so disobedience, having an attitude, talking back, in general showing disrespect because it says in Ephesians six two then honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise. And here's where I want to start going down the path of saying why this is not good. Because the scriptures tell us that we are to honor our father and mother, which is the first commandment and with a promise. And Paul is reflecting back on Exodus chapter 20, where he talks about the Ten Commandments, where Moses gives the Ten Commandments. Paul's talking about them there, analyzing them a little bit saying there's a commandment, and that commandment actually has an interesting feature. It's got a promise attached to it, which the other commandments didn't have, uh, you know, specifically in the listing there. And so when you disobey your parents or you, you dishonor or disrespect your father or mother, the issue is not just with you and your parent. There's a third party involved. Okay? Who is that third party? Not your other parent. I mean, that would be, like I've told our boys, you disrespect mom, you have to deal with me. Okay? So, but I'm not talking about that third person. I'm talking about God. God. You disobey your mom and dad, you're actually disobeying God directly. And so you need to recognize your conscience needs to be weighed down by that when you disobey your parents and you dishonor, disrespect them, blow them off. You're actually doing that to God. Okay? That grieves the Spirit of God. That grieves God. We'll come back to that notion in a moment. There are other manifestations that you might make in your relationship with your parents or in your life of extreme selfishness. Everything revolves around, you know, your, as I said, your geocentric universe, your self-centric universe. That's this, that selfishness is the root of all sin. Uh, number six on my list, how to provoke your parents, I just have a few more, uh, a lack of gratitude. The Bible tells us 
that in everything we are to give thanks. And uh, in Psalm 107, that's in 1 Thessalonians, by the way. Uh, We're familiar with that one. But in Psalm 107, it says this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Um, Verse number, there's a bunch of them, you know, here, but, uh, you know, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord uh, throughout here. Verse 8, for example, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And if you're thankful to God, you're going to be thankful for what God provides through your parents. I mean, there's almost, no, there's almost no time in life which is a better time for you to recognize if you're a young person that everything I have comes from the hand of God. I mean, when you start out and you come home from the hospital, you've got nothing, okay? I mean, you say, well, that's my striped little blanket there, you know? That's my blankie. Uh, so you start already hanging on to things. For, <laughs> that was given to you. Everything was given to you. All of your food is provided for you. Your bedding, your housing, the love from your parents, all of that stuff. You have nothing. You know, you start to build up a little bank account when you get, you know, a little older and you're a teenager and you're like, oh, I've got something now, you know. Start working at saving and having something to buy a bigger thing when you want to later on. And all of that stuff, where did that stuff come from? You know, think about it. So, but a lack of gratitude is a terrible attitude to have. You know the effort that parents put into having and raising children? Have you ever thought about that? The effort that mom has made just to bear you, (laughs) to carry you around for nine months as you increasingly weigh her down and then have a, have a childbirth and bring you into the world. And, and then all of the sleepless nights and worry over your illness when you're small, things you don't even remember. And you don't show gratitude. Here's a practical thing you could do as a young person. And maybe I can ask it as a question. Have you ever written a note to your parents listing a number of things that you're thankful for? I'm not talking about an assignment, you know, like on Thanksgiving and Sunday school, the teacher tells you to write a note to your parents that you have to, you know, write 10 things you're thankful for, and then you give it to them. You know, here you are, Mom and Dad. They told me to do this. <laughs> I'm saying spontaneously from your own heart that you sat down and you said, you know what, I really am thankful for my parents. I'm not giving it as an assignment right now. I'm suggesting it that you might think about that in your heart and you decide to make it an assignment for yourself. Voluntarily give thanks to your parents. Number seven, not showing love to your parents can provoke them, can upset them, can grieve them. Your parents loved you long before you were able to show love. You know, you showed you showed a kind of a one-directional need, you know, and they're pouring into you all that time in your young years. Uh, not showing love back to your parents when they loved you before you were able to. The Scripture tells us, you know, I was trying to think, where does the Bible say love your parents? Um, it does say to love your neighbor. 
who's your closest neighbor? The person in the next bedroom over, you know, the siblings over here and mom and dad over there and, you know, uh, love your parents. Obviously, obeying your parents. I mean, how do, you show, how do you show the Lord that you love him? If you love me, keep my commandments, right? If you love your parents, you'll, you'll uh, be obedient to them. Number eight, one way to grieve your parents, not talking to them. You ever had that experience? Teenagers, young people, no talking, just silence. They'll talk to their peers all the time, right? You know, when it comes to parents, very little, very little. So not talking to them. That is, I'll tell you from the parent's perspective, grievous to them. If you never talk to your friend at school, what do they think? What are they going to think? The modern way of saying is that you kind of ghosted them, right? You dumped them, not talking to them. It's very obvious, but somehow when it comes to family members, we think that we can just kind of don't have to worry about that sort of thing or even think about it. Not talking to our parents is a problem. Uh, Number nine, last one I thought of, thinking that you are wiser than your parents thinking that you're wiser than your parents. Now, you know, in some ways you may have knowledge that they don't have. You know, the classic example is uh, the kind of the new ways of speaking or the new technology that, you know, your parents and grandparents are slow to pick up and you've got it all and all that sort of thing. But that doesn't mean that you're wiser. That just means that you have a little skill that they haven't picked up yet or, or have judged is not worthy for them to pick up because there are other more important things in life than those things. Um, you know, one of the marks of, of unbelief, besides lack of gratitude in Romans chapter 1, is the Bible says that the people who rejected God professed themselves to be wise, so wise that they became fools. And that's on display today in all kinds of ways. People that are so wise in the ivory towers of academia and they promote things that are patently stupid, obviously dumb, unbelieving, wicked. I just heard our, our, our governor on the radio this morning on the newscast. How much progress we've made this year with LGBT rights and you know, the right to determine what to do with your own body, i.e. kill the child that's within you, you know, an abortion and those sorts of things, and it's like she's wise about evil. The Lord told us to be wise about righteousness, to be wise as what serpents and harmless as doves, but not wise about evil, to be simple concerning evil. Well, don't think you're wiser than your parents. In fact, that's good advice for all of us. You know, we think we're smarter than everybody else in the room. Uh, that's arrogance, and we need to have humility. Even, you know, the, the, mark of a, the mark of a really wise person is the person that knows that they don't know everything and that they need the assistance and specialties of others and that they can glean something from other, somebody else, even if it's somebody who's you know, lesser than they are in whatever field or academics or credentials or something like that. That's real wisdom. Um, 
Now, just to apply those two lists of things here, both sides of our equation here, parents and children, cannot uh, take these lists and kind of use them as manipulation tools on the other side. Okay? You know, you can say, well, pastor said, <laughs> don't use me like that, okay? Leave me out of it. <laughs> uh, the Bible says, now that's, that's okay, that's better, all right? But you cannot connive, you cannot contrive, you cannot manipulate, you cannot gaslight you know, your parent or your child in order to you know, kind of use this material as a club, as a lever against them. You have to be honest and truthful about these matters. And I think, I, maybe I think you can grasp what I'm getting at. You know, you can use things like this in a bad way. These aren't meant to be used in a bad way, but you can do that and, and try to, you know, scold your child or scold your parent if they aren't doing just what you think you've contrived in your mind should be done. You've got to be honest and truthful about the matter. So how to fix this, you know, the situation where we fall under a number of these uh, things on my lists here where we do these things. You know, how do we, how do we fix this? How do we uh, stop doing, you know, these things to provoke one another to be upset and to be angry? Well, the bottom line is, and this is what our, our lesson has been driving for all this time, is that you cannot fix it yourself. Now, I could give you a, you know, a three-step process, and I could give you some legal means, you know, legalistic means to do this. But the point of this whole series is to say that there's something that's coming out of the heart that needs to be fixed before these things are going to change in our relationships with one another. John 15, verse 5 says, Without me, you, you can do nothing. Okay? You can do nothing. You cannot fix your relationships with your parents or your kids or with your spouse uh, without the help of the Lord. Um, I was reading in my own reading time in Mark's Gospel in chapter 7 and ran into this, which I thought would be helpful. In Mark chapter 7, it's in verses eight, whoops, 18 to 23. Uh, so he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? It's talking about you know, the, the debate about food that you eat that might defile you, the, the Jewish people thought. He said, what, uh, Because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And he said, What comes out of a man? That defiles him. Not what goes in, but what comes out. For from within, out of the heart of men... And remember, we talked about the heart being the seat, the center of personality, of being, of decision-making, of desires. The heart, out of there proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. I counted 13 there. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. Now, some of these are, I could say, grown-up kind of sins. Uh, you know, when you get up in your teenage years and beyond, others are sins that uh, anybody and everybody can do at any time. Uh, I'm not trying to make a huge deal about that. I'm just saying that if you think, oh, well, I, I haven't done the first four items on that list, you know, and you kind of just trail off and forget about the rest, just pay attention. 
or know that those things can come from within later in your life if you're a youngster. So this is the problem. These provoking things, these attitudes, the sassing, the the, uh, not admitting you're wrong, the being legalistic, all the things on our list of 36 items here, 34 items here, both for parents and for kids, comes out of our heart. Jeremiah 17.9 says that the heart is, you've memorized it, haven't you? It's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The reason why I said you should not be contriving or gaslighting or that sort of thing and using this material against your you know, opponent, <laughs> uh, parent or child, is because the heart is deceitful. And you'll take whatever means you can, you know, even some kind of spiritual sounding stuff, and you'll twist it around to try to make it to your advantage because the heart is deceitful. You need God's work in your life to make this all work out. Uh, and so when we, when we talk about salvation, I want you to know that we're not just talking about you being declared right before God, justification. Okay, That's a wonderful truth. It's a very important truth. But I'm not talking about that right now. I'm talking about another side of salvation, and that is regeneration. You need to be born again. You need to have a change in your heart. You need to have the stony heart of flesh taken out of you, the stony heart taken out of you and a heart of flesh put into you. You need to have the heart circumcised in Old Testament language. You need to have that new creation begun in you. Uh, Regeneration teaches us that when we come to salvation, we are transformed. We are changed. Not just our legal record is changed, but our hearts are changed. And that is the solution to the challenges that we face in our relationships, parents and kids. Okay? A lot of the reason, can I say it? A lot of the reason, well, let me say it this way. You need to evaluate if the reason that you're sassing your parents and disobeying them and having a bad attitude and not being thankful or, you're not discipl- or you are disciplining your children in anger and scolding them and all of that, you need to evaluate what does that mean about my heart and has it been transformed? In other words, dare I say, am I truly saved? You know, if you say, I can't, I've had this happen before, I, I can't stop that sin. Well, if, you re- if it's true that you cannot stop that sin, then what does that mean? It means you're not saved because a saved person can stop a sin in their life by God's grace, with his help, not by yourself. But if it's true that you can't, now it may not be true. You may feel like it's true, and you may say, I, I, can't, I feel like I can't stop this. Well, let's think about this. Do you really trust Christ died for your sins? Do you really believe in him? Have you committed your life to him? Okay, yes. Then it feels like you can't stop it because it's such an ingrained pattern and addiction and habit and all of that. Let's work on that. So maybe you falsely think it's impossible, but maybe you truly, you know, you're right that you say it's impossible. Well, then you need to get saved. You need to be changed. So a, a child being showing a pattern of lack of gratitude, of, 
of not uh, talking, of uh, you know disobedience, of not loving, of of you know arrogance, or a parent who fails to keep their promises, or always you know abusive and ridiculing and things like that. That's the point. You need to be saved. Titus chapter 3, 5 talks about this uh, salvation. And uh, we, we use this verse because, I'll get there eventually, in Titus 3, 5, uh, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done. So it's, not, you know, it's not by keeping all those things that we've talked about today and saying, okay, I got that, I checked that off my list, I'm okay there, I'm doing that. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So when you're saved, it's not just a legal thing that goes on, a declaration of justification. There's a change that happens in your heart. You're, you're given a new heart. You're washed. You're cleansed. You're regenerated. In other words, you're given new life. And it's that then that enters the work of God into your life so that you can live for him. So it's not enough for us to just say, son or daughter, you need to obey, or parents, you need to do this, and you need to do that, and you need to do this other thing. You can't do those things truly in, honoring to God, in a way that's honoring to God unless you have Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay, I don't want this class, this series, which we're not done with yet, but you know, to devolve down to, a, well, I've just got to do better kind of thing. I just got to be more obedient. I just got to work up the strength to do that. No, what I really want is that it would show you that when you have sinned, think about this, this afternoon or tomorrow or the rest of this week, when you get into the next little scuffle with your child or your parent, you know, argument or whatever, stop and think, okay, what, are we, what were we talking about in Sunday school on Sunday morning about this? And why is it that I am having so much trouble showing honor to my parents or talking kindly with my child or listening to my child or whatever, what is going on in my heart that's tripping me up? And if you need to be saved, get saved. And if you are born again already and trust in Christ, then repent, tell him you're sorry for the sin that you've committed. Ask your child or ask your parent to forgive you. And you just watch when you follow that, when, you, when you, that heart is working in you, how much better things will go in your relationships with one another. Okay? Because God will be working through his word and through his spirit in you to help you with those things. Let's pray because we're out of time just now. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to you for this teaching the, the notion that sin, when we recognize it, when, it, when it weighs on our conscience, shows us that we have a need outside of ourselves. And we've tried to demonstrate that today by reminding us that without Christ we can do nothing, that our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked, that we try to twist and connive things so that we look better or don't have to do what we should do. And I pray, Lord, that there are young people here this morning who 
recognize that kind of disobedience in themselves, that that would be a light bulb to turn on for them in their hearts and say, look, that's, that just exactly demonstrates why I need to repent and turn to Jesus to save me so that I can be transformed, I can be renewed, I can be brought up out of this deceitful heart and brought into a new, fresh, clean, honest heart. Thank you, Lord, for the work that you'll do. And for parents here, many of whom are professing Christians, those perhaps listening online, this would be a good checkup for us as well to see if we've just been parenting selfishly or if we've been really giving ourselves to the task, helping our children to be raised up and become a godly generation. Thank you. Lord, help us. We need your help. Oh, we, we need it. In Jesus' name, amen.